0: Okay. Good morning, saints. Good to be with you. It's uh, it's three hours earlier here in Seattle. So, um, you know, usually I can I can blame my mistakes on jet lag, but I can't do that today because I didn't I didn't fly. So today I'll just blame them on. Um, uh, early morning meeting. Okay. So if I say anything wrong, that's, that's, that's my, that's my built-in excuse. I got, I have some coffee here. I think we're going to make it. Praise the Lord. I'm so happy that we could have this, um, this time and especially this subject. I'm, I'm very, very burdened for this subject because to state the obvious we're living in an extraordinary time. Uh, there's something extraordinary happening in the world today, and that means something to you and me. And as I was thinking about it this morning, uh, two verses came to me from the book of First Corinthians. I'd like to read them to you. First one is uh, in First Corinthians 7. You remember yesterday, I think I... I think I I said this yesterday that um, the things that we are so concerned about today, the things that are occupying us, the things that we're anxious about, none of them are going to mean anything at the end of this age. And none of them will mean anything at all in the coming age. And we have to have this kind of attitude that if we're living For those temporal things, um, we're wasting our time. Every temporal thing will disappear. Every temporal thing will not enter into the next age. So anyway, here's a verse from 1 Corinthians 7. Uh, I start with verse 29. But this I say, brothers the time is shortened. Henceforth, both those who have wives should be as though they had none and those who weep as though they did not weep and those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice and those who buy as though they did not possess and those who use the world as though they did not abuse it for the fashion of this world is Passing away. And the footnote on the word shortened, where he says the time is shortened. The concept that at Paul's time the time was shortened was due to the fact that the long period between the latter part of the first century and Christ's second coming was not revealed to the earlier apostles. They expected that the Lord would return in their generation. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? <laughs> but we know it actually wasn't for their generation. So the other verse is also in Corinthians, first Corinthians ten um, verse eleven. You know, first Corinthians ten is talking about the history with Israel uh, in the wilderness and um the 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 experience that they had and the negative experience both positive and negative the the manna the 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 uh, water from the rock and then the the negative experience they have then you get to verse 11 now these things happened to them as an example and they were written for our admonition unto whom the ends of the ages have come. We are the ones unto whom the ends of the ages have come. And the footnote there on the ends of the ages says the ages refer to all the past ages. The ends of the ages refer to the fact that the past ages were consummated at the beginning of the New Testament age meaning that the New Testament age is the end of all of the ages. And that's where we are today. And we're not at the beginning of the New Testament age. Um, And as I said yesterday, we don't know when the end of the New Testament age is. Nobody does. On the other hand, we know something. Uh, In Matthew 24, when the Lord says, talking about his coming, He says, um, no one knows the exact time, but we do know the season. We know the season. Um, And and he says, we need to discern the signs of the times to understand where we are in history, where we are in church history, where we are in human history. We're at the end. And... He, he talks there in Matthew about the fig tree signifying um, the uh, nation of Israel. And well, let me just, let me just quote it accurately. Um, at the beginning of Matthew 24, the disciples um asked the Lord a question. And I like this question very much. It's in verse 3, Matthew 24, 3. Um, The Lord had had told them about uh, the temple. He said, a stone will not be left upon a stone in the temple. And they asked him this question. They said, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the consummation of the age? Isn't that a good question? I think we should be asking that question to the Lord at at this time. Lord, what will be the sign of your coming and of the consummation of the age? And then Matthew 24 and 25, these two chapters, wonderful chapters, are actually the answer to that question. And I can't read it all right now. But right in the middle of that answer, he says this, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole inhabited earth for a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. So a big, big part of the consummation of the age, it's not the whole thing, but a big part of it is the gospel of the kingdom will be preached to the whole inhabited earth for a testimony to all the nations. Let me point out a couple of important points in this verse. They directly relate to the message. In fact, Matthew 24, 14 is the first verse on the scripture reading for this message. It says the gospel of the kingdom will be preached. We have to expand our definition of the gospel. Uh, All of Christianity uses this verse, uh, as we do, to talk about the Lord's second coming. But the gospel is not merely the gospel of salvation from perdition. It includes that. Of course it does. Um, But our gospel is the entire truth of God's New Testament economy. That's our gospel. So when we talk about the gospel being spread, we mean the divine truths, the entire divine truth of God's New Testament economy from Matthew to Revelation. And it says it will be preached to all the nations you know, there's about 195 or so uh, nations on the Earth. It changes every year, mainly mainly because of Africa. Africa's still trying to figure out how many nations they have. I used to think that this verse meant that we needed to have local churches in every nation. I don't think so anymore. Um, First of all, that's not what the verse says. And secondly, the word that is translated nations in this verse is the Greek word ethnos. It's not a nation as a political unit or a geographical area. It's not that. It's it's. It, 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 you could also translate it instead of nations. You could just translate it peoples ethnic groups, peoples, and in a very real sense, the uh, gospel of grace, the gospel of uh, salvation from perdition has already been preached to all the nations, a long time ago, in fact. Um, uh, But the divine truth of God's New Testament economy has not yet been preached to all the nations. Although I have to tell you, we're making tremendous progress in that regard. I myself, I'm just one brother. I myself have been to over 70 nations preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And many, many, many others have gone out. And uh, we're in this process right now that the gospel of the kingdom is going out. Okay, let me continue. That's one, one of the signs of the consummation of the age. The next verse, therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, let him who reads understand. Okay, the, another big sign of the consummation of the age will be the rebuilding of the temple and antichrist setting up his image in the temple that's the abomination of desolation standing in the holy place so the great tribulation is part of the sign of the consummation of this age and i won't i won't go further with that but i i, I i'm trying to make this point oh i'm sorry let me let me go back i didn't read the verse that i first intended to read about the signs of the times Well, I'm not finding it right now. But you know that verse. He says you knew, you can look at the you can look at the sky and see what the uh, weather looks like. But can you discern the signs of the time and the, the fig tree puts forth its uh, its leaves and and the branch becomes tender. That's referring to Israel. Israel was reformed in 1948. You have to realize the nation of Israel didn't exist as a country for 2,000 years from the time of David. And in 1948, what happened was astounding. I have here in my office, I won't show it to you, but I have here in my office at home a uh, a. Uh, 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 a copy of the the Jerusalem newspaper from 1948 announcing the reformation of the nation of Israel, the Jerusalem post. And what that was, that was one of the greatest events in world history. Now that's before I was born. I'm old, but I'm not that old. And then, so that was the, the the, the the fig tree uh, uh, s- sprouting, and then in 1967, Jerusalem was returned to the uh, administration of the Jewish people. That was the branch becoming tender. Now, 1967, I was I was there, and that was another historic event. And, um, you know, the the nation of Israel, what happens there is simply a picture, an earthly picture of what God is doing in his economy spiritually. Because Israel is still God's people, and God will always honor his covenant with Israel. And one of the uh, matters with the covenant with Israel is the boundary of the nation of Israel and, as I said, the rebuilding of the temple. That will happen, and it will happen in this age. The actual boundary of that nation is much, much larger than the present boundary, and the, um, all of that territory will belong to Israel and the temple will be rebuilt by the end of this age don't worry about that that can happen very very quickly in fact if you go to israel today you'll find out they they've already prefabricated the entire temple the whole thing it's all in a a warehouse in jerusalem if 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 the site becomes Available, which could happen very quickly, they they can erect the temple in a very short time. So that's not what the Lord is waiting for. He's waiting for for us as the church to to um, spread the divine truths all over the earth. But it is an indicator. So we have to. We have to pray for Israel. We have to keep an eye on what happens in Israel, and you know, yesterday I was talking about the election, and I said that we should pray for God's economy in this upcoming election. That includes Israel. That includes Israel. We. I can tell you this, and I'm not making a political statement. I'm really not. But whoever is in in whoever is the President of the United States, at the end of this age, that person, he or she, is going to be pro-Israel. I guarantee you, because at the end of this age, the only friend Israel will have on the whole earth is the U.S. All of Europe will be against Israel, Russia will be against Israel. China will be against Israel. The only powerful nation on the entire earth that will stand with Israel at the end of this age is the United States. So you can be sure as you observe the world situation, whoever is president in the United States at the end of this age, it will be a person who cares for the interests of Israel. That's part of God's economy, uh, even today, uh, because Israel is still God's people in the earthly sense. And as I said, he will still keep his covenant with Israel. Okay, so uh, this is the first point I'd like to, to impress you with before we get into the outline is, where are we, dear saints? Where are we? in time? Where are we in history? Where are we in church history? You know, you can, you can divide the 20 centuries of church history into three time periods. The first five centuries from Acts chapter 2 until the 6th century— which was the establishment of the papal system in Catholicism. Those first five centuries of church history are centuries of degradation. There's five centuries of degradation. The church as it came into being at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 was exactly what it should have been. In fact, if you want to know what the church should be, you just study Acts chapter 2. What we teach and what we practice concerning the God-ordained way, it comes from Acts chapter 2. And in fact, Acts chapter 2, please listen, Acts chapter 2 is the only up-to-standard church life. The entire New Testament. Uh, You might say to me, Well, what about the church in Philadelphia? We'll get to that. Just remember, Philadelphia very, very, very quickly became Laodicea. And so Acts chapter 2 was the, the, the standard. That's what God ordained, that's what He brought forth on the day of Pentecost. And study Acts chapter 2, look at all the characteristics of that wonderful church life. I won't, I won't mention all of them today. i just mention a couple. Um, the first thing and the most important thing is that they continued steadfastly in the teaching and fellowship of the Apostles. So they had the New Testament ministry and they continued steadfastly in it and that continuing in the Apostles' teaching and fellowship became the factor of their one accord. You know, the, the, the term one accord in the New Testament, it's used 12 times 11 of those are in the book of Acts. The only time the one accord is mentioned other than the book of Acts is in Romans that with one accord and one mouth, you might glorify the God and father of our Lord. So why is that? Because it was lost. They had it, but it was lost. It it got lost very quickly. So from, I say again, The first five centuries of church history are a story of going from the proper church life and degrading, 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 degrading. The the first degradation, Paul said to Timothy, this you know, that all who are in Asia have turned away from me. You have to understand at that time when Paul said, all who are in Asia, the churches at that time were only in Asia, not what we call Asia today, but Asia Minor, which is mostly in Turkey today, Um, that part of Asia. And when Paul said, all who are in Asia turned away from me, what he's really saying is, all of the churches all of the churches have stopped continuing steadfastly in the teaching and fellowship of the apostles. So you have the first five centuries of church history. Then you have 10 centuries of the dark ages. Think about it. Five centuries of degradation followed by 10 centuries of degradation. Sorry, of of darkness, of the Dark Ages. You know, even the secular historians call that time period the Dark Ages. Because it wasn't only the Dark Ages for the church, it was the Dark Ages for humanity. Um, It was a terrible time. And then you get to the 16th century. And you begin, you begin five centuries of recovery. So have you got it? It's five plus ten plus five. Five centuries of degradation, ten centuries of the Dark Ages, five centuries of recovery, beginning with the Reformation. And, you know, the Reformation was wonderful. There's no doubt about it um i grew up in catholicism i know i know all about catholicism uh two of my older brothers went to the catholic seminary to study to be catholic priests thank god neither one of them ended up going through with it but we uh we know about catholicism and i certainly know about the catholic doctrine of justification by works Well, Martin Luther, who was a uh, a Catholic monk, he got enlightened by the book of Romans to understand that justification is not by works, but by faith. And this was a great revelation. To us today, it's a very common teaching. You have to realize That teaching was not taught on the earth for a thousand years. A thousand years. Now let's pause for a minute. How would you like to have been born in the 7th century, the 8th century, the 9th century, the 10th century, the 11th century, the 12th century, you would, have been, you would have lived and died your entire life in darkness. And everyone who was there at that time did live their entire life in that darkness with no Bible. That history is so interesting. Uh, I, I don't have time to, to, to tell you much, but you know, the Catholic Church intentionally made sure that the Bible was not available to anybody. And that's what brought in those centuries of darkness. That's why there will be such a judgment on the great Babylon. Okay, so beginning with Luther and the Reformation, we have five centuries of gradual recovery to where we are today. We're at the end of those five centuries, We're back to the beginning. We're back to Acts chapter 2. We're back to the God-ordained way. But let me say a little bit about those five centuries. Martin Luther did recover a great truth, but concerning the church, Martin Luther did not contribute anything positive. In fact, at at the best, he went backwards backwards. You know, Martin Luther understood that the papal system was wrong. But he replaced the Pope with secular monarchs. Is that better? You know, the Lutheran Church and Anglican Church and all of their offsprouts are the head of those churches are the secular monarchs. The head of the Anglican church is the queen. The head of the Lutheran church in Denmark is the king of Denmark. Is that better than a pope? A- 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 no need to ask is it better than a pope? Is that is that the is that the church according to the New Testament revelation? Of course not. And Luther didn't see the church according to the New Testament revelation. So The Reformation, as great as it was, it was a baby step. It was a tiny, tiny baby step after 10 centuries of darkness. And then you have to wait a long time after Luther till you get to the Moravian Brethren in Germany under Zinzendorf. And the Moravian Brethren... They they were very good and they had a a kind of a I would say an embryonic form of the church life. They didn't really have the church life, but they had a little a little foretaste, maybe a little embryonic form of the church, um, because they they did practice to drop all of their doctrinal differences and their there differences in practices and, and come together to practice a kind of oneness. But you have to realize the Moravian brethren, they lasted for a very short time. And they were in a very, very small geographic area. It, it was good, but it wasn't much. That was in the 18th century. So you, then you have to wait another hundred years to the 19th century till you get to the British Brethren. And I think you all know, and, and we freely admit, much of what we teach, we received from the British Brethren. The recovery of the truth through the British Brethren was a hundred times what, what was recovered before them. It, it, was, it, was, it was a geometric leap, in the recovery of the truth that occurred with the brethren in the 19th century. But I say again, concerning the practice of the church life, they didn't practice it. They didn't practice the church life as we know it and as the New Testament uh, reveals. Then you have to wait another century to the 20th century until the Lord raised up Watchman Nee. And he was the one who recovered the truth of the the ground of the church and the proper practice of the church life and the oneness being preserved through the ground of oneness. Uh, Do you see my point, dear saints? If you were born any time in church history before the 20th century, You wouldn't be, you wouldn't be in the proper practice of the church life. And your ability or your possibility of participating in the consummation of the age would have been zero, zero. And we're not in the 20th century. We're in the 21st century. So now we're a hundred years after the Recovery of the proper church life through Watchman Nee. And, oh my goodness, brothers and sisters, I hope this timeline impresses you. I've been around in the recovery for about half of that. Uh, Anyway, 45 years I've been in the recovery out of those 100 years. And I've watched it. I've watched it firsthand, and I, I want to tell you, the church life. I'm going to make. I'm going to make a bold statement now, but it's true. The church life that you and I are in today is the most advanced practice of the church life to ever exist on the earth in all of history. Do you believe that? I absolutely believe it. Now, you may say to me, what about Acts chapter 2? Isn't that the highest and the best? Acts chapter 2 is great, but it was only in one city. One city, Jerusalem. Yeah, it was great, but it was in one city. And by the time, listen to this, by the time the church spread from Jerusalem to Antioch, What was spread was a degraded version of the church. And what spread out of Antioch and Jerusalem afterwards was a degraded version of the church. And as I said, by the end of the first century, not even the end, by A.D. 67, it was already fully degraded. And it reached the absolute lowest point by the sixth century. So, brothers and sisters, look at where we are. Look at where you and I are in church history and in the history of mankind. We, oh, we are in the ultimate time. We are in the ultimate time. And how much time remains, only the Lord knows. But... I tell you, this ultimate time that we live in, it began in 1922, and it flourished in 1948 with the Re- reformation of Israel. And it, let me tell you something you may not be aware of regarding the Lord's recovery. I'm sorry, I haven't gotten to the outline yet, but I'm. Bear with me. I have I have a burden to press you about the time that we live in. Uh, You know, the church life that I came into 45 years ago, it was good. In fact, it was more than good. It was the best thing on the entire earth at, at that time, at that time. Now I want to use an illustration of technology to talk about the church life and hopefully you can you can follow my analogy you know um i still remember in 1976 or 1977 right around there i bought my first personal computer you know what it was It was an Apple IIe. If you Google it, you can can see what the Apple IIe looked like. If I gave you, if I showed you an Apple IIe today, you would think it's a child's toy because that's basically what it was. And yet, let me tell you, if you had an Apple IIe, in nineteen seventy six, that's like owning a rocket ship at that time. Now, today, this is twenty twenty. Look at this. I got this little thing. This is a hundred times more powerful than that little Apple II E was. And then in nineteen eighty, I got my first IBM PC with floppy disks. They didn't even have a hard drive. And I thought, whoa, I'm on the cutting edge of technology. Well, I was for 1980. Listen, saints, we're in version 2020 of the church life. This version of the church life is the most advanced, church life that has ever existed on the earth. It's in all of the continents. It's everywhere. It's, it's exploded. When I came into the church life in 1974, we only had 200 local churches on the earth. Today, we have thousands, thousands. And when I came, we had no recovery version. We had no life studies. But look behind me. We've got the, not just the recovery version, we've got the collected works of Watchman Nee, the collected works of Witness Lee, a life study of the entire Bible, the crystallization, <laughs> the truth. Do, do, do you see my point? The spiritual technology has advanced at a great rate it's it's almost like it mirrors what happened in the world the, the first technology advances in the world were slow and they were small increments you know beginning with the industrial revolution which by the way coincided with the reformation that's not an accident that's the divine history in the human history but then later the techno- technological advances were much greater increments. Listen, that's what happened in the church life. I saw it. I saw it. The church life, for me, again, I've been here 45 years. The first 25 years, there were advances, no doubt, but they were small. But the last 20 years, it's like everything intensified. And there was a great leap forward in the spiritual technology. Things like full-time training. We didn't have that until, well, 30 years ago. And things like prophesying. We didn't have prophesying until 1984. That's a very recent recovery. So I hope you can appreciate, and, and really, honestly, this is my whole burden in this message. I will I will go through the outline with you, but my whole burden in this message is really to impress you with this one point. Where are we? Where are we in time? Where are we in history? Where are we in church history? Where are we in relation to the consummation of the age? Think about it. It's if you really do study it, and you really do think about it, I'm quite sure you will come to the conclusion that I have come to, which is we're in the ultimate time. We really are in the ultimate time. Now, I'll read this with you and say a little bit about it. Uh, it says, spreading the divine truths and seeing a vision of the world's ultimate situation, God's ultimate move and the Lord's ultimate recovery. Number 1, the Lord needs the truths of his recovery to spread to the whole earth. That's the real fulfillment of Matthew 24:14. It's it's the spread of the recovered truths to the whole earth. And Oh, my goodness! it's really happening saints It's really happening, and a lot of that is due to the technology we're able to we're able to have a zoom conference like this with uh, people from so many places. The spread of the divine truth today is unprecedented, but it's still not adequate. We still need to do a lot more to cooperate with the Lord at this time. The spreading of the divine truths of the Lord's recovery will be a preparation for the Lord's coming back to bring the recovery and the restoration not only to Israel, but also to the entire creation. Amen. There is the need of the spreading of the translated, interpreted, and understood divine truths for the Lord's recovery and restoration. The spreading of the divine truths will bring in the Lord's restoration. You know, restoration's a little different than recovery. We we understand what the recovery is. What do we mean by restoration? We mean the restoration of the creation, including the physical universe and including Israel. You know, the when man fell the entire physical universe was damaged. And we know that in, in the restoration, even our, our sun, our S-U-N sun, will be seven times brighter than it is today. That means the sun used to be seven times more intensified than it is today. When man fell, even the sun was darkened. So the restoration will be the restoration not only of Israel, it'll be the restoration of the physical universe. Okay, point C. The Lord's charge to us is to go and teach the nations, teach them, so that the present age May be consummated. So we have to put together Matthew 24 14 and Matthew 28 19, the so called, what Christianity calls the Great Commission. It is a Great Commission, but that Great Commission is not going to be fulfilled by Christianity because they don't have the recovered truth they don't have the practice of the church life that that commission is going to be fulfilled by the lord's recovery that means you you me too but you too you too i remember when i was a young working brother which i'm i'm not anymore uh at least not young. Uh, I I am working, but I'm not young. Um, Brother Lee would often say to us, he would very often in his message, he would say to us, one day the Lord's recovery will be on your shoulders. And I, I thought when I was 18, 19, 20, 25, 30, 35, I thought, My shoulders? I don't think so. Somebody's shoulders, but not mine. Well, here I am. Now I'm in my 60s. Guess what? It landed on my shoulders, and it's going to land on your shoulders. So we have this responsibility to spread the divine truths and uh, uh, spread the church life and the proper practice of the church life. Okay, let me read on. It is a historical fact that the world situation has always been the indicator of God's move on the earth. Really, so it's interesting, isn't it? Isn't it? it, it you know, I have I have two grown daughters, and uh, one is uh, thirty-two, the other is twenty-nine, and they 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 sometimes say this to me. Uh, you know, I get quite excited about the truth. I get quite animated about it because I love it. I love it. And occasionally my, my daughters will say to me, you know, dad, you're the only one who thinks that's interesting. (laughs) And I tell them that's not true. That's not true. There's, there's a few others that, that think it's interesting. I think it's fascinating that The Dark Ages coincided with a whole dark time in human history. And then when the Industrial Revolution occurred, at exactly that time, the Reformation occurs. Can you see how the world situation and God's move in his economy go in tandem? And they always do. They always do throughout all of human history. The history of the church also shows that the world situation is the indicator of God's move on the earth. It really is. And, you know, this is a, um, this is portrayed. We're going to, we're going to get into this, this afternoon. It's portrayed by the seven seals in Revelation, when the, when the Lord ascended, he, um, he, he, he took the scroll out of the hand of God the Father, and he loosed the seven seals on that scroll. And the first four seals we know are the, the four horses, war, famine, death, and then the white horse, the gospel. So this is, these four seals tell us what happens in the history on the earth from the time of Christ's ascension all the way to the Lord's second coming. That's that's what the book of Revelation reveals. It reveals what happens between Christ's ascension and his second coming. So how is this present world situation, how does it fit into it? Well, it's clear, isn't it? It's a pandemic that has resulted in much death. And what does the Lord intend to do in the midst of such a pandemic? He intends that the white horse of the gospel would run alongside of this pandemic. And it's happening. It's happening. People are much, much, much more open and much uh, more interested in the divine truths at this time. And as I say, when we say the white horse of the gospel, we don't just mean the gospel from the salvation from perdition we're talking about the gospel in the broadest sense, we're talking about the entire truth of God's New Testament economy. Okay, B, there is the need of an appropriate direction for God's move today to match the recent changes in the world situation, I hope we would take this very seriously. I think we need to ask the Lord. I, I, I mean this sincerely. I think we need to ask the Lord, Lord, in this extraordinary time in world history. What is the proper way for us to cooperate with you? What's the appropriate direction? And I just give you a little hint in the upcoming Memorial Day conference. We're going to talk a lot about that. Okay, C. When we see many changes in the world situation, we must wake up and consider what the Lord wants to do and how these changes concern us. You know, these days, everybody... The politicians, especially, they like to talk about the new normal. They said, everything's, everything has changed in the world, and there will be a new normal. Well, I don't know about that, and I don't really care about it. What I care about is the divine history. But let me tell you, we can't go on in the same way as before, because we're not living in the same time that we were living in. We're living in another time and we, we have to look to the Lord. What is it at this time that you need and how do we cooperate with you at this time? Because it's different. It's different than before. It's an ultimate time. It's an ultimate time. We need to see a vision, Roman numeral three. We need to see a vision of the world's ultimate situation. Number one, God's ultimate move, number two, and the Lord's ultimate recovery, number three. So there's three things, ultimate things, that are going to coalesce at the end of this age. There's the world's ultimate situation, God's ultimate move, and the Lord's ultimate recovery. And what is the world's ultimate situation? Well, um, it says here, the world's ultimate situation involves the United States as a base for the spreading of the central vision of Paul's completing ministry. We are not exalting the United States. We're not, um, we're not nationalists, not at all. We're not, we're not here to make America great. We, we, we're here to use this powerful country that we live in for God's ultimate move on the earth. And under God's sovereignty, at the end of this age, there is no more Soviet Union. There used to be this kind of balance of superpowers on the earth there isn't any more. There's only one superpower. It's the United States. And this happened under God's sovereignty. And as I mentioned, even the English language, uh, you know, this, this has just happened in my lifetime. Uh, let's go back 50 years. I realize most of you aren't 50, but let's go back 50 years. If you went to Europe 50 years ago, nobody spoke English in Europe. Nobody. If you went to Taiwan 50 years ago, you wouldn't find one person who spoke English. If you went to Russia 50 years ago, no one spoke English. If you went to China 50 years ago, no one spoke English. Today, today, a half century later, everybody on the whole earth speaks English. Everywhere I go, the taxi drivers in Moscow speak English. All the young people in Europe, in Taiwan, in China, in Russia, they all speak English. This this is, can you see how this is for the spread of the divine truth? We can spread the divine truth through the English language today to the entire earth. And it's so meaningful because the highest, the, the, the high peak of the divine revelation was spoken in the English language. So it's no coincidence that English has become the language of commerce in the entire earth. That's the worldly history. But in the divine history, listen, English has become the language of the ministry, of the interpreted high peak of the divine revelation. That's wonderful. And that's all happened in one generation. One generation. Again, I say, brothers and sisters, what, where, where are we? Where are we today? We're in the, oh my goodness, I can hardly, I hardly have words. I hardly have words. If you look at the book, The Glorious Church by Watchman Nee in the collected works of Watchman Nee, at the back of that book, The Glorious Church, there's an appendix. And that appendix is taken from the handwritten notes of a sister who was in that conference with Brother Watchman Nee. And it happens that I know this sister quite well. She's with the Lord now. But let me, let me quote something to you. And you have to understand, this was spoken nearly 100 years ago, nearly 100 years ago. Brother Nee says in that appendix that the greatest dispensational move that will ever occur in church history is the raising up of the overcomers. That will be the greatest dispensational move in all of church history. And he said, for this to happen, God needs a dispensational instrument. And that dispensational instrument is, in fact, the overcomers. Then he said this He said, We live. In the most privileged time, we can do the most for God. A great price must be paid in order to be used now. Now, I believe those words were true when Brother Nee spoke them almost a century ago. How much truer, how much more applicable are those words to you and me? than they were to those saints who heard them that many years ago. I really honestly do believe we live in the most privileged time. We really do. And we happen to live in the United States, which is for better or worse under God's sovereignty. It's a country that is is uniquely involved with the consummation of the age in a positive way. B, God's ultimate move is to carry out his economy concerning Christ as the mystery of God and the church as the mystery of Christ. Three things have already been recovered. The preaching of the gospel, the teaching of the truth, and the scriptural way of meeting. Those have all been recovered. Here's the one that isn't quite yet fully recovered. God's ultimate move is to gain a people who have Christ as their life and live him. That's the ultimate move. And we have a name for these people. The people who have Christ as their life and live him, these are the overcomers. These are the overcomers. D, God's ultimate move is this fourth Step. Okay, what are the four steps? Preaching of the gospel, teaching of the truth, scriptural way of meeting, and then the fourth step people who have Christ as their life and live Him. God's ultimate move is the fourth step. Of his move to accomplish his eternal purpose. The first three steps are the preaching of the gospel, teaching the Bible, and meeting according to the Bible. Nobody else meets according to the Bible. We're not, this is not a boast, it's just a fact. We're the only ones who are in that recovery. Number two, the fourth step is his gaining a good number of believers who know how wonderful Christ is, who have him as their life and live him, who are filled, permeated, and saturated with him, who grow in life and are transformed by his flowing life within them, and who are built up with fellow believers to be the golden lampstand in their locality that's that is that's the fourth step that's where you and i are we're in the fourth step and let me tell you that's the ultimate it's the last step so if you and i could faithfully enter into this if enough of us at least 144,000 if enough of us could enter into this that will consummate the age Okay, Roman numeral 4. The Lord's ultimate recovery is of course the same as his ultimate move. This is the ultimate move of God in his economy. It's also the ultimate recovery of the Lord in these last 5 centuries. This is the last one. Everything else has been recovered. We're not recovering new truths anymore. We're not recovering new practices anymore. Those have all happened. We're at the ultimate time. The ends of the ages have come to you and me. And the ultimate recovery has been delivered to you and me. Through Brother Watchman Lee, through Brother Witness Lee, we have inherited the ultimate recovery. I, I hope we can realize this. You know, and to whom, to whom much is given, much is required. We're so blessed, we are so privileged to inherit this recovery. We're also responsible to to bring it to its conclusion, to its consummation. Okay, A, the ultimate move of God has been lost sight of, but now the Lord will recover it and thus complete what he desires to do. It really has been lost sight of. Do you believe this ultimate move, after what I have shared with you about the 20 centuries of church history, do you believe believe this ultimate move, this ultimate recovery, is going to occur in the Catholic Church? I can assure you it's not. Do you believe it's going to be recovered in any of the denominations? No way. They don't even know it. If you don't even know what the goal is, how are you going to reach the goal? This has been lost. And by the Lord's incredible mercy to you and me, we see it, and we're in it, and we're in it at this time. Oh... Brother Nee didn't get to see the completion of it. Brother Lee didn't get to see the completion of it, but you and I might if if we're faithful. Okay, last point, the Lord wants to recover Christ, the mystery of God becoming the indwelling spirit to dispense the triune God into the believers thus making us members of his body for his corporate expression. This body is expressed locally as the lampstand, which becomes his testimony, the testimony of Jesus. Aren't you happy, dear saints, that, I don't know about you, I just say, Briefly about myself, I, I wasn't even looking as a young person, I wasn't even looking for this. Um, And when I got it, I didn't even know what I had gotten. I, I just, I just heard the gospel by the Lord's mercy. I received the gospel as a university student. I I didn't know anything about the church, the church life, the recovery, the consummation of the age. I didn't know anything about any of those things. And as I said, I really wasn't even looking for it. I just, after I heard the gospel, I just realized, well, I, I, I think salvation sounds a lot better than perdition. And sometimes I even argued with the Lord in the ensuing years. I said, Lord, I, I didn't sign up for all of this. I, I just, you know, all I signed up for was uh, salvation. I, I, didn't, I didn't sign up for all the rest of this. Well, actually, we did. And it's our destiny, whether we, whether we thought so or not. It's our destiny. Our destiny is to be those who consummate the age. And listen, consummate the ages, consummate all of history, consummate all of church history. That's our destiny. May we be faithful to fulfill it. Okay, I will stop here. The brothers can tell us what what comes next.